Welcome to the Canes Country Podcast. We have so much to talk about this week, uh, uh, more than we've had to talk about in a number of weeks because they actually played games, the Hurricanes did, and things happened in those games, which is a very big step forward for the team after going 10 days of not playing a game. This is, again, in case you forgot, the Canes Country Podcast. My name is Brett Finger, and here with me this week is slash r r the people here are andrew schnicker and ryan hankel how are you gentlemen doing on this fine friday february 5th i'm doing great i was doing all right until that little grammar gaff bro but you know and that was pretty embarrassing it. it was pretty embarrassing i can feel the second hand embarrassment over here yeah <laughs> uh, i might i might just leave and let you guys take it from here um what was also kind of embarrassing this week, well, particularly last night, was the Hurricanes' uh, defensive showing against the Chicago Blackhawks. And that's how we're going to segue into the Hurricanes over the last week. Uh, so the Hurricanes came back from the COVID break and won four consecutive games, five if you go all the way back to the Nashville game, which feels like a decade ago. Uh, they, The Hurricanes twice beat the Dallas Stars over this past week after you know we recorded after the Tampa game. Uh, they took down the Dallas Stars twice. So they, they won three straight games against teams that were in the Stanley Cup Finals last year. Good. Those are good things. And one was a 4-1 to win in regulation against Dallas at home, and then a shootout win 4-3 against Dallas uh, to wrap up that weekend set. Uh, uh, the back-to-back against Dallas, which a team that came into the series uh, unbeaten. The Hurricanes kicked off a road trip after that. This week they started against Chicago. Another shootout win in Chicago, 4-3, to followed by, last night, again, a 6-4 to loss in Chicago. Uh, so that's a split of, of the win-loss category in that two-game mini-set against Chicago. Andrew, you want to start with takeaways from the last week of hockey that saw the Canes go 3-1? and it's kind of interesting right because i think like we can all agree that they looked and played a lot better in the games against tampa bay and dallas particularly the first two games without their regulars that they were missing you know it was really impressive the way that they came together uh the new guys looked good they played well um you know and some of the regulars too andre svechnikov jordan stahl who's been playing just phenomenal hockey, really, since he came back from the COVID list. Yeah. I mean, he's doing all the good things that he normally does with winning faceoffs and being a good presence defensively. But offensively, he had points in the first four games, and some of the passes that he's been making have just been playmaker, ridiculous. I mean, yeah, I mean, like the the two passes that he made in those first two goals for Svechnikov and Fogel in the first period against the Blackhawks on Monday were absurd, but. The funny thing to me is, and I guess this is kind of to be a little bit expected, like like I almost expected coming out of that three-game set that they would probably look worse the first game that the regulars came back because all of those guys would be rusty, and that's, you know, four spots in your lineup, two of which with Tavo Teravainen and Jacob Slavin are guys who play big minutes. And certainly in both those first two games, I think that's been the case. Um, 
I, th- I think that's fine. You know, I think it was understandable that it would take those guys some time to get their legs under them. The The big thing for me, though, is in both the Chicago games, there's been so many, way too many defensive lapses and the special teams, which were really good um, in the first three games set against Tampa and Dallas were pretty bad in the two games set against Chicago. I mean, they were obviously absolutely abysmal. In, this, in that second game, that loss. But I yeah. think, you know, I think it's like all things considered, you look at everything the Hurricanes have been to, through, the injuries they've had, the pause, playing the games without those guys. They're 6-2. and two. Like, there's not a lot more I think you could ask for through the first eight games, given all of the circumstances. could always ask for eight, no. You could, sure. You could ask for that. Especially consider it's what's well, funny because they're undefeated – against the Lightning and Stars, and the two losses are to the Red Wings and Blackhawks, which it just kind of seems like that's how it goes sometimes, but that is kind of funny. Yeah. Uh, Ryan? Yeah, I was... It was interesting, like Andrew said, you know, you kind of expected a bit of a drop-off when they went to Chicago after how well they were playing the first three games. Uh, It was kind of... I wouldn't say concerning to say, but it's almost funny that the the taxi squad players and the call-ups were playing probably better hockey than the regulars were when they came in. And, you know, there's obviously the, you know, being out for 10, 14 days, however long these players have been out, you know, there's going to be rust, but it looked a lot... It looked a lot like mental mistakes more than physical mistakes, like the past few games since Chicago. I'd really say that the Canes haven't looked great since the first period of the second game against Dallas. Yeah. They were, that first game against Dallas, they limited the shots. <laughs> Dallas only had 11 shots, which is the least amount they've uh, generated since they relocated. I saw that. That was a funny stat. And They should you know, the relocate period, some pucks to the net, is what I would say. <laughs> Oh, God. God damn it. But <laughs> that first period of the second game came same same energy. They outshot him like 12-3 or something. And then that second period, you expected Dallas to push back a little bit, but the Canes kind of seemed unprepared for a pushback at that point. And, you know, they kind of got lucky. You know, Niederreiter shot a rocket to tie it. Yeah. They won in the shootout. They go into Chicago. They take a 2-0 lead early and then give up two easy goals in the in the first period that that game late to give up the give up the lead and then that game kind of like you know they score again late and then Strong just is standing there in front of the net nobody covering them scores to tie it goes to a shootout Canes win that one and i think game 4 is just every all the mistakes and the mental you know lapses the Canes have been making just kind of caught up to them eventually I think they didn't look great at the last half of the Dallas game. They didn't look great in the first Chicago game. They definitely didn't look good in, you know, this last game last night. Uh, it's not something to be worried about, but I think it was the Canes just needed that wake-up call. They were getting lucky, and they were getting, you know, the bounces. So for them, they were like, well, we're still winning, but now it's one where like, okay, well, now we've lost. Now we need to address this. Yeah, I think those are all good points. Um kind of going in in reverse uh, i'll i'll say that probably the most concerning player coming off of 
of the COVID layoff, uh, and I'm not going to be too hard on, on any of them because it's still just two games after coming off of a COVID layoff. Uh, so there is there needs to be some sympathy for that, obviously. Um, Jacob Slavin hasn't looked good uh, in particular. Uh, he, you know, he... <laughs> In that in that game in that first game against Chicago, uh, that first goal or no, I believe the second goal of the quick two that they score at the end of the first period, I think uh, Slavin just turned the puck over, uh, a very uncharacteristic mistake, and so that wasn't good, obviously, and you know he's just he's just not looked up to speed. And again, it's it's very understandable as to why that might be the case. So I, I'm not going to get on here and say, oh, no, uh, overpaid, uh, overrated, Jacob Slavin. Can you believe this guy? Um, but, yeah, he didn't look great. So there, that's something. Tara Vinen didn't look particularly great either. He showed more flashes, I think, than Slavin did uh, in total over that uh, those two games in Chicago. But I think after two days off before playing in Columbus, I think that'll be a better gauge of, of where they are. Now that there's, you know, they have two games under their belt coming back. Now they have two days off and the whole team, I think, needs a couple of days to kind of regroup. And I think the, the Columbus set will be a pretty important one to, to kind of see where they are as a team. Uh, they'll definitely have an opportunity. Columbus has, has been playing well. They, they've racked up some points um, and as well as the, as good as the Hurricanes record looks, I think it is also worth mentioning that, you know, the, two, two shootout wins uh, in, in the past three games, uh, the, the Dallas game that went to a shootout. I mean, that, that was pretty fortunate that Niederreiter buried that shot. Uh, it's a goal that he deserved because he, he's been playing very well, uh, but not the most high-danger shot that you'll see him take. Uh, he deserved that that result, but not, you know, they, they to an extent, got fortunate to, to get there. And the Chicago game, I mean, that very easily could have gone the other way as well. They didn't play very well in the overtime. Uh, they kind of clawed their way to the shootout, and, and they, they managed to to figure it out. And then the, the six, four loss was, you know, a, a really bad first period after Sebastian Ajo scored 75 seconds in or, or whatever it was. And, you know, they had a really strong second period. I think they, they came out down three, one, they scored those two quick goals. They very easily could have scored more. And then the third period was a bit of a letdown. So, you know, it's, it's, it's tough. And, you know, but, but at the end of the day, you have to be happy with a six and two record. And even if the, the product to get there wasn't the best, it's still good to see them winning ugly when they need to. Uh, I think that's the sign of a good team. And when they're, when they're six and two and not necessarily playing their best hockey, I think that's a good sign for the most part, assuming they can reach that level that I think everyone knows they're capable of and it hasn't been the offense as as y'all pointed to it's been the defense that has been pretty uh troublesome the 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 defensive zone breakdowns 
uh, on the penalty kill, especially in those Chicago games. But at five on five, it's been a bit of a mess. We've mentioned this a few times over the past weeks. We've done the podcast, how this is such a different Carolina team than ever before. Offense is reliable. Defense isn't. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's not even necessarily like the quantity of shots. It's, and it's this, it's this problem that has been a thing for the past couple of years. They're not giving up a lot of shots, but when they give up a shot, it's a bad breakdown. And uh, we'll talk about this later because we have a, a Twitter question that is that is a, a really fair question and a good question um, that we'll get to in a little bit. So I'll save all my takes for that. Um, uh, perhaps even, well, not even perhaps, worse than you know a loss to Chicago or whatever, uh, the injuries that the Hurricanes have faced over the past week since coming back. Uh, it just, it was just during those Dallas games, it was just down like flies constantly. Um, of course the big injury from the Dallas set was Peter Morazic, Max McCormick skated back into his own net and Morazic got the brunt of it. And he, uh, he, he messed up his thumb pretty bad. Let's say, uh, the pictures weren't pretty of that and, uh, thumbs don't bend that way. So no, he had supposed to. Yeah. So they can. Yeah, they can. But uh, they probably shouldn't. You don't and, want that. Yeah. You don't want your thumb making a 90 degree angle backward. Yeah. A big thumbs down for, <laughs> for that. Um, for that. I whole... don't think he was capable of that at that moment. But... Yeah. He was very much uh, thumb sideways uh, in, in a very unnatural way. And he's going to miss uh, an extended period of time after undergoing thumb surgery. And last night, Thursday's game. A really just a shitty, shitty thing to happen at the end of that game. Uh, Calvin DeHaan and Martin Natchez collided along the boards. Martin Natchez does this thing, and it, it worries me all the time. When he gets hit, he jumps up, um, and he kind of elevated a little bit when he got hit by DeHaan. And when he landed, his foot slipped out, and he slammed his head on the ice. And it was pretty scary because the the – the immediate reaction from him was very much that of someone who was very dazed and not present. Let's say, um, it yeah, took, that, that close up was, it was rough. Yeah. Um, I'm no doctor, but that looks like a concussion. Yeah. Uh, don't come here for stock advice and don't come here for Nor medical, medical advice. advice. Um, yeah. this is for entertainment purposes only. Uh, so yeah, he, he needed help off the ice. Uh, he was down the ice for a bit. That was a pretty scary incident. And then also in that Dallas game, Max McCormick got boarded. Uh, I think it's fair to say by Blake Como. It wasn't called, and McCormick uh, is going to be out for uh, for a long, long time. It would appear, and he's on IR. So yeah, injuries. Do we don't like injuries? Yeah. No. No. All right. Very Definitely good. You got to feel for Max McCormick. I mean. Yeah, uh, it's yeah, like yeah. it's such an unfortunate event. Like he collided with Morazic trying to dive back to to a stop like a two on one break, and like he can't even like try to make it up to the team because that same game like he just gets hammered. It's like yeah, like a couple minutes like, later. Yeah, yeah it was like the next the shift like, or something. The shittiest fucking possible game for him, I would assume. Yeah, that that sucked, uh, and. With Morazic, I think it it poses the question. Reimer started uh, 
each game since then. Alex Nedeljkovic is up from the taxi squad. He's backing up Reimer. What do they do? Do do you guys trust James Reimer to carry the load? Because in all likelihood, this Morazic thing is going to be at least a month uh, based on previous injuries and how those recover. It's going to be at least a month, maybe more, who knows. Uh, do you trust Reimer to carry the load for that long in, in a shortened season? I do, because I think, like, here's the thing that I think, now he wasn't, he wasn't awesome in the second Chicago game. He got hung out to dry some, but his rebound control did leave something to be desired. But the thing of it is, like, over his starts this year and, you know, the way he played last year, James Reimer has been a really good goalie. His numbers are better than Morazic's. Yeah, he had, he came into the um, to the second Chicago game 16-2-2 in his last 20 starts. That That's pretty good. And I, I think you've seen Reimer's capability to make a bunch of saves. Now, the thing is, though, he was doing that largely in tandem or as a backup with Morazic. So, yeah, you do worry somewhat about him being able to ha- handle that larger role, especially in, you know, this season with the games compressed. So this is really going to be dependent upon, you know, can Nedeljkovic give you some quality starts? And I think that, you know, th- this is kind of put up or shut up time for Alex Nedeljkovic. He's on a mm-hmm. one-way deal. His This is a contract year. He has been with the – he was drafted, I believe, in 2014. Yeah. So, like, you know, he hasn't gotten a ton of chances to prove himself at the NHL level, but you kind of are starting to get the sense of, like, if he's not ready – because, you know, he's been really really good at the lower levels of the AHL, and, you know, Rod Brindamore has talked about how they like him and they trust him, but you almost get the sense of if he's not ready to show you something now in this situation with this chance – he may not be an NHL goalie. And maybe that's fair, maybe it's not. But, I mean, I feel like this is kind of his big chance to show the Hurricanes that he should be part of their future plans. You know, he, he had a great year in the in when Charlotte had their, their Calder Cup run. And the year before, I think it was the year before they won the Calder Cup, he was goalie of the year. Or was it the same year? Yeah, that was the same year. Same year. So, he had a great year. Last year wasn't as great. But I, whatever, a lot of turnover on that Charlotte roster year over year. And, yeah, it's it's tough because last year it felt like Anton Forsberg was kind of the more trusted guy when, when the apocalypse happened and every player on the Hurricanes roster got hurt and David Ayers had to play goalie. So it, it kind of felt like Forsberg was the more trusted guy. And, and you know, he's had more NHL experience by a lot. Um, and obviously they don't have him anymore. Well, they did for 45 seconds or so. And then they didn't anymore. They claimed him off of waivers for for a hot minute uh, as the season started. But, yeah, it's it, it'll be interesting to see how, how they play. Because uh, Nadalkovic is going to get looks. Uh, with the condensed schedule the way it is and it, it really is now or never for him they've they've waited a long time it's been seven years uh, almost since he was drafted you give goalies some time but it's really if if he doesn't show that he can play right now I, I'm not sure how much more patience they're gonna have with him 
Yeah, I think it also kind of goes hand in hand with, you know, Rod's typical usage rate with like rookies or AHL players when they're called up. He he tends to go with his vets more often. I think that's why we haven't seen him yet. But this Columbus series, since it's going to be a back-to-back, he, if we don't see Nadeljevic, I think that's just mismanagement. But it'll be interesting to see whether these Nadeljevic in the first game of the back-to-back maybe you know get him the fresher bodies in front and you get Reimer a little bit of a harder task, which is what I would do with it. But like like yeah. you guys said, it's 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 you know not up for shut up time for Ned. <laughs> yeah, and he plays for a Shell game in Columbus, and I think he made like sixteen to sixteen saves in his NHL debut, and he came in in relief. He's also from Parma, Ohio, so he's from there. He's from that state. Uh, so yeah, I think he'll definitely see one of those games, and I agree. I think he should probably see the first game. That's what that's what I would decide piggybacking off of that and moving into more league-wide injury and that kind of stuff what the fuck is going on with the nhl and covid protocol good you know five teams in the league experienced shutdowns over the past week obviously the hurricanes were i think at this point two weeks ago or something like that so they're not among that group what the hell it's just it's constant and and we shared a bit of our distrust in the league's plans to handle this season when when the hurricanes had their breakout we we expressed some opinions of of doubt about how the nhl is going to go about this and this certainly doesn't help because i think they had 40 or 50 players on the protocol list yesterday there's been 90 uh, or at least as of a, either yesterday or the day before in the first three weeks of the season, there had been 90 players on a different time. You look at the list, the New Jersey Devils, my God. There are currently, as a, this is yesterday's list, today's is not out yet. New Jersey Devils have 16 players on the COVID protocol list. If you're thinking about an, NA, an active, like, normal 23-man roster, that is seven players off your on your roster that are currently not on the COVID list. There's five teams currently on postponement for at least a week. I think the Knights, Devils, Sabres, Wild, and Avalanche are all earned their current, you know, game postponement. And, like, you know, there's been seven in total, include the Stars and the Canes. Nearly 25% of the teams in the league have had to postpone games in the first three weeks because of players, you know, potentially having COVID or COVID exposures. I didn't think somebody – I didn't think one of the pro leagues would give – um, college basketball, the way that has gone so far, a run for their money. But props to the NHL for proving me wrong. Yeah, the NHL always proves us wrong in the worst ways possible. It's this is true. It's great. It's great. Did you guys see? There was something going around Twitter. I saw it was like a little kind of preliminary, like theoretical report about you know COVID in the air on the ice. Did yes. You guys see that? Yeah, it, it was something about it was some it was some study um, from like a university in Canada, maybe because it was about saying like some of the older Zambonis, like with the way the cold air is, like the exhaust can get like trapped down in the air closer to the ice, and they said that like air that's contaminated with like COVID could be the same. Yeah, I thought it was a really interesting theorem because you know cold air doesn't rise if it stays close to the earth air surface or the ice surface and it can't like ventilate those players are just skating and potentially exposed COVID air for 60 minutes. 
And it goes back to the same issue we talked about when the Hurricanes first had their shutdown. I know the league has said, like, you know, they made some changes and they talked about, you know, they're using some rapid testing where deemed necessary and committed to layering more in. How is the first change that you make not implementing full-blown rapid testing across the board for every team? Like, it makes no – like, they had it in the bubble. So, like, they, they had some system, I'm pretty sure, but, like, that that's what's just going to keep happening because the way it's set up now, if you're still having the thing where you're testing one day and then the guys are playing in a game that night and then you get the results the next day and it's like, well, oops, this guy's positive and he played last night. I don't, I don't see how you can expect this to get any better. No, no, no. We, they're going to remove the glass behind the, the benches. Yeah, Andrew, Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. That's fun, right. Good, Andrew, good they're them. doing all they can. They're removing the glass from behind the bench. And the players can't get to the arena, like, too early or something like that. Yeah. Come on, Andrew. It's... You're being unreasonable. They're, <laughs> they removed glass from behind the I bench. Am... I am being unreasonable by asking the NH- expecting the NHL to take the very obvious step toward fixing this situation. Yeah. No, you're totally right. Literally, I mean, the hell, what are we doing? Like, we we, what are we doing? It's not that like it's not that complicated. Like, at least to me, it's not. Like, if you're not rapid testing. You're going to have guys playing in games who are COVID positive, and this is just going to continue to happen until and unless we get to a point in the season where the whole NHL can be vaccinated. But I'm not sure how likely that is. Yeah, like the Sabres were airing out their grievances to the PA about like about that, like how they yeah. New Jersey basically gave their t- whole team, you know, a COVID outbreak. They should. They're absolutely right. I mean, to be upset about that. Yeah, they they, I think, they, uh, they didn't want to play the game, right? And yeah, they like they, had, they had worries about it going into the game. It's like I remember during the baseball season, was it the Marlins who were like they, they It was the Marlins and the Cardinals. It was like the Marlins had a team group chat and they decided in the group chat whether or not they were going to play. What? Do you remember this? And either of you, they, they had a discussion because team players on the team had exposure and it was revealed that they made the decision, not the league, not like the higher ups or whatever. The players in a group chat decided that they were going to play and then they had an outbreak. Like it's like that level of stupidity almost in in the NHL, except it's the league's fault. Like, I don't think that, it is the like, league's fault. Other than, like, the Capitals, and that was really just, like, those players doing it, it, you know. Yeah. I don't think that, like, individual teams are doing anything wrong. Like, it was even, like, I think um, there was something where uh, Jeff Blashill, Detroit's coach, was talking about how, like, you know, they played against the Hurricanes, and then they had it. Like, but it, 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 it wasn't like he was blaming the Hurricanes. He was just kind of saying, like, you know, with the testing we have, these are the situations we're going to have. Yeah, it's like. They know they got it probably more than likely from Carolina, but it's not like Carolina's it's not fault the hurricane's fault. Like all they can do is like, okay, Joel Jordan Stahl played opening night, but we didn't know he was positive because he didn't get his test until the next day. Obviously he's not going to play anymore, but sorry, you guys already played against him while he was COVID positive and his teammates all were in the locker room and on the bench with him when he was COVID positive. And then, you know, at least 
from what Jordan Stahl said, that's what the theory for the Hurricanes is, is that he brought it into the room and everybody else got it, but or everybody else that was on the list got it. But Obviously, a lot of things have to change there. Uh, you're trying to do this. You're trying to do this season, and it's just it's amazing how they either weren't thinking or were just simply ignoring some very obvious holes in their protection plan. Like it's not right, not rocket science to, to think about the, no. <laughs> how having like, these tests that take a day to get back and you're testing them before a game and the next day it's like, Oh, Oh, we had, we had a positive test. Now what the what the hell good was the test if you didn't have it in time to you know avoid a, a, an outbreak which is exactly what happened for the hurricanes they had an outbreak yeah it's like the three of us are about the furthest thing from medical experts but like it it seems very obvious to us yeah so there you go we'll see we'll see what changes uh, and what more importantly more likely won't change over the next little bit and i'm sure we will talk about this topic uh once or twice more this season so <laughs> once or twice once more or twice might week. be overly optimistic <laughs> assuming we have week. one or two more podcasts before the season's totally canceled altogether <laughs> moving forward speaking of moving forward tom dundon was on Craig Custance's The Full 60 podcast on The Athletic. There he talked about a number of things, uh, including John Forslund, how he, how Tom Dundon himself operates as the owner, the inner machinations of the hockey team in Carolina. Uh, there, there, there were a number of things that, that could be talked about as a topic, but one thing that stood out to me was the Dougie Hamilton discussion. He is a UFA after this season. Andrei Svechnikov is an RFA, uh, so much less concern about his future, obviously. And he's Dundon said a million times that if he plays anywhere other than Carolina, it would be a huge loss or a huge uh, upset or whatever, however he's... It would crush him. It would crush him. Yeah, and... I think he speaks for all of us on that. Yeah, I think we're all on the same page. Good stuff. Then there's Dougie Hamilton. And I'm just going to read out what he said about Dougie's situation. Quote, again, this is on the Full 60 podcast with Craig Custance. He said, quote, Dougie's harder. He's been so, so good. He's a good person. He's been a great teammate. He's a great player. But it's difficult when someone's close to being a UFA. So we have to figure out how to make it fit and how does it work for everybody. It's a little easier when there are years of control. I can't perfectly know what each individual thinks. You just don't know. They have agents, other influences, but I have our philosophy, and that is to have great players, and if you have to pay for great players at market value, you're going to do that. There's no other option. Figuring out what market value is, though, within a range that allows you to be competitive is just something we'll have to work through together. I don't have any intention of letting good players leave, but sometimes you have to. We want to have the best players and the best chance to win every game forever, not just today or not just next year. We're not going to make decisions that will make us better now but worse 
in the future. A lot of words and a lot of words that equal uh, not very much. <laughs> um, <laughs> thoughts on what he said? I mean, he pretty much he he said a lot of words and he's really getting good at the whole saying a lot and while saying nothing kind of talk. Yeah, he says he's not a hockey man, but he's got that he, side. Of he's it. got, he's really learning. I mean, credit to him. He's a smart guy. He's learning fast how to say a lot while saying nothing. Uh, but yeah, he, he opened the door that, you know, he said, I don't have any intention of letting good players leave, but sometimes you have to. But then he also said, if we have a great player and they want market value, we're going to do it. We have to. So thoughts on all that. Well, I think Brian pointed this out in our Canes country slack to it. You're, you're probably not as optimistic about them re-signing Dougie before reading that than as, or after reading that as you would have been before. But at the same time, I mean, like it's fair. Like he, I, I think what he's getting at, you know, though, is, you know, kind of the same thing you say with any kind of player like that. Like, it's all going to depend on the term and price. They're not going to overpay him. They're not going to, um, you know, pay more than they think he's worth. And I think that's fair, especially when you look at, you know, the deal for Svechnikov uh, after next season. Natchez is going to be up. Like, the Hurricanes aren't going to be swimming in cap space in the next couple of years. And, you know, the interesting thing, and I think you said this, Ryan, too, is you can look at these defensemen, you know, that come into this situation around Dougie's age that are playing really well and looking like, you know, Norris contenders, and then you give them the big contract. And it hasn't always ended well. It's like, that's a thing I look at it. You know, let me preface it. Dougie, I know you're a big fan, big listener of the podcast. You know, we love you. We think you're a great fit for the team. You know, great chemistry. You're great in the community. But at the end of the day, it is a business, Dougie. So I'm going to take what I say with a grain of salt. Ryan is in the office with Dougie right now, uh, negotiating the contract and breaking the news to him that he's no longer wanted. (laughs) But I mean, we look at Dougie is... He's 27 years old. He's coming off of a major, major leg injury when he's already not like the fastest skater on the team. And, you know, he's having kind of a slow start to this season. You know, granted, he's only played, he told this, you know, in his presser after the game last night, he's only played like 14 games in the past 12 months. So, you know, there's the potential for like the rust, the slow start, but regression is a hell of a thing especially on offensive defensemen like you look at like eric carlson drew dowdy chris letang brent burns all of them still good players like today but the fall off from where they where they were to where they are yeah this is going to be a tough one with dougie so obviously you don't have the years of control like like dundon said he he's not like svechnikov in that way so you have to you have to really make a decision. Is Dougie Hamilton closer to Eric Carlson as a player that you think that he's going to regress and he's gonna he's not a reliable enough two way player to make up for uh, the lack of the the slowing down of his game? Is he closer to that or is he closer to an Alex Petrangelo who is a more reliable two way guy? who will get you a lot of points regardless. A point that's been made about Dougie is that he's not as quick. And I think that's 
that might even be a good thing for him because he's never been a very quick player. And I think there's less concern about his legs going away as he, as he gets older, because it's not like he's blowing anyone out of the, out of the building with his ability to move. Right. It's not like it's something he relies on and he's going to lose. Yeah. So that's another thing because his game is more about making reads and making quick plays. Right. And obviously his very vast toolbox of, of ability in the offensive zone and in transition and all that. And over the past year, I think his his defensive game has gotten much better with the board time that he's been in Carolina. Uh, obviously his play with Slavin, you know, Slavin certainly helps him a great deal uh, in that area. But it's very tough. It's it's. You know, I understand both sides of the argument, and I think that it's probably going to be a little bit before this decision is made, and I think his performance this season is going to play a very big role in how all of this pans out because, you know, he hasn't been, he hasn't been last year's Dougie so far this year. I think he's shown more signs recently. Uh, you know, he made a really great read last night. Uh, that led to the the Svechnikov goal to intercept the pass, move into the zone, and he he it was just it was a classic Dougie play, uh, and, and that was really good to see, and you know, so I, I don't think this is going to get solved anytime soon, and I think his play in the, in the coming weeks and month or month or month and a half or whatever is gonna is gonna play a big role. Yeah, well, I mean, it is going to be interesting, though, as the trade deadline approaches. Like, are you, you know, if you don't think you're extending him, are you willing to risk letting him walk for nothing? You know, if you're looking at yourself as a good team that, you know, you think you can make a cup run, maybe you are willing to take that risk. You know, there's certainly going to be some very interesting decisions ahead on that horizon. Yeah, for sure. Uh, And we're definitely going to be talking about that a lot as time goes on. But for now, we're going to move on, and we're going to talk about that Twitter topic that I brought up earlier. So Ross on Twitter, at EdTechKaniac, um, he, he posed a pretty a good question about the Hurricanes and their system. So he sent on Twitter, this is a, a couple of tweets long, the Canes frequently talk about their game or the system. How would you define that game in relation to the other 30 teams? Is it that different from what any others are trying to do in all three zones? Does the system the Canes use somehow set them up for failure because it's too demanding and too too demanding to sustain over a long period of time? It might work for a few games, but then there seems to be some letdown. Is it the fault of the system for that? Uh, comparing the difference between the power play and penalty kill versus Dallas and then versus Chicago, what made the Canes so successful against the Stars and so lousy against the Hawks? Was it an issue of personnel and play or a weakness in the system that exposes them? Do they have to retool each time? So this Man, is hitting us with the yeah, these essay are good, question. I these feel are, like I'm back taking an AP exam. Yeah, these are excellent questions. Um, so what I think there, there are a few things things in Carolina's system that makes them different. The very obvious first one is the involvement of the defensemen in the play. Uh, yes. The Hurricanes rely heavily, heavily, heavily on defensemen to, A, of course, 
limit scoring chances against, obviously. And I'll talk more about their defense in a moment. But transitioning the puck up the ice, their defensemen play a very important role. And that's why it's important that the Hurricanes have these mobile defensemen that they have. Um, Jacob Slavin is an example of that. Uh, Dougie Hamilton, we just said he's not a crazy skater, but he's an above-average player with regards to how he can move across the ice, and his frame certainly helps him in that regard. Brett Pesci is very mobile for for the kind of defenseman that he is. Jake Gardner, Brady Shea, all these guys are relied upon to skate the puck up the ice and be able to skate the puck up the ice. So the way that they've built their team is distinctly different from a number of teams in that they rely on their defensemen heavily, heavily, heavily to move the puck out of their own zone, get controlled exits, and create controlled entries. Uh, I think that's a huge part of how they play. Defensively, the Hurricanes play it very interestingly. They don't play a very traditional, well, traditional is probably not the right word, but they don't play a very common type of defense anymore. Uh, they tend to play a bit of a man defense if we're equating it to basketball as well. I mean, this is really, this, is, this applies to any sport where you're playing defense, but they play a lot of man defense. You'll see that assignments are hugely important when they're, when they're in their own zone. Uh, you see, you know, it's, it's unlike a lot of teams in that you'll see defensemen coming out to the blue line, covering their guy and the forwards are going in deep and, you know, they play more as a five man unit in the defensive zone as opposed to, you know, a, a two defensemen staying close to the goal line and three forwards up closer towards the blue line and, and that kind of thing. Uh, it's very reliant on a man defensive structure or at, at times a hybrid structure where maybe you're keeping two guys central and you're relying on others to follow around. But for the most part, it's a very man-based defensive scheme that they play. And when that's the case, again, it, this goes back to the whole having mobility and having the ability to to keep up with guys. If, if you are not keeping up with your guys, this system is hugely flawed. And we've seen it at times where guys aren't keeping up and it leads to a very high quality chance against. And... With the Hurricanes, another thing is when you're playing these man zones and you're going to be hand trading off assignments, um, you see it all the time. Say Brett Pesci's in the defensive zone. He's covering a guy. He taps on Jordan Stahl to take his man. Pesci follows around the other guy. When there is a lack of communication, the th again, this whole thing breaks down because yeah. – if, if two guys are on one guy and one guy breaks free, even for a second, like the margin of error there does not, it's not big. It, it doesn't have to be a huge breakdown, but it'll look huge on the replay afterwards because a split second and you're not with it and you're not on the same page as your teammates, then it's, it's a disaster. And I think that's why we see the hurricanes when they make a mistake and it leads to a goal and it leads to a really good opportunity for the other team. I think a lot of it has to do with that, with how they play defense, how they assign, assign, uh, onto other players, how they play. Um, I think that plays a very big role in, in all of that. I definitely, I, I I'm with Ross on this, that when 
you know, when it's when it's bad, it's really bad. And and part of that, and a lot of it has to do with the system. But that's that's how the Hurricanes have built this team. That's that's how they've played under Rod Brindamore. And you know, at this point, this is who they are. And some nights it's gonna be it's gonna be on, and they're not gonna give up anything. We saw that in a game against Dallas, the four-one game. They didn't give up anything at all. And then you have the game, a game against Chicago, and Chicago's a team very fast. Uh, they they have guys who move around the ice quickly and can kill you in in transition with their skill. Um, they they may not pair up as well against teams like that. And when you think about a team that's really hurt the Hurricanes in the past, it's Boston. And they're just so good with their mixture of, of size and, and speed and skill. They're just a really dynamic team, at least they have been in the past. And that gives a team like the Hurricanes a lot of fits. So there's a lot going on with that question and the answer that I just gave. But the, the Hurricanes do play a, a unique style of game, and their roster is built for it. But it is not foolproof, and when it, it when it when there's a mistake, it compounds into something often disastrous in the defensive zone. So that that would be pretty much most of my answer with regards to that. Yeah, and the, I think you did a really good job covering that. And just a couple things I want to add are, yeah, like you said, you know, it's a really high risk, high reward system. When it's we've seen it when it's on, like in the first Dallas game, yeah, it was on, and that was something a lot of the players and Rod talked about, you know, after the game was that, you know, if they've got, even with having to plug those new guys in, if everybody's playing the system and doing their jobs well, it's still going to work because it's the system. But like we saw too against Chicago, when it doesn't work, it's the opposite extreme. And the one other thing I think kind of stems from that is it seems like you always have this perspective about the Hurricanes, like, they need better goaltending. If they could just get better goaltending, their goaltending is holding them back. Well, I think that, especially in the years before, you know, making the switch to Peter Mrazek and Curtis McElhaney and then James Reimer, that's definitely been true. The system, as you just described it, is really hard it is. on goaltenders because when something does go wrong and you have that break, that breakdown, it's leading to the definition of a great A chance. So, you know, you may look at it from the outside and be like, oh man, you know, James Reimer gave up three goals on 24 shots. Okay, well, maybe they only gave up 24 shots because for 95% of the game, their system is working to a T and they're not giving up much. But maybe those three goals are all, you know, off of those breakdowns and big opportunities that they're letting out that's going to be tough for any goalie to save. So I don't necessarily disagree that in recent years, the Hurricanes might have benefited from a goaltending upgrade. I think those goaltending numbers that a lot of people look at from the outside do kind of stem at least in part from some of the drawbacks of this system. Absolutely. Uh, it's, and that's why you see when new guys come in, it's, it's not easy to start playing the way that the Hurricanes play. Um, Gardner had a real big problem with it last year. (laughs) Gardner had a real big problem with it last year. Brady Shea has had a real big problem with it at times. It's, it's something that takes a long time in some cases, especially with defensemen, because especially for defensemen, it is not 
a normal necessarily way of of playing it's it's unique and and what the team asks of their defensemen is very unique from in all areas they they're highly reliant on defensemen uh in all three zones in transition uh it's it's important that they get accustomed to it so that that's pretty much what we have for that it's a really good question and you know i hope i hope this helped a little bit it's it's Sometimes it's not easy to describe, but I think we did a pretty good job. Yeah, and thank you, Ross, again for the great question. It's and a for great question. Um, you, you tagged several um, Canes writers. Thank you for including Brett and I in that. And um, yeah, I said I hope we satisfactorily answered your question. So just a couple more things before we wrap it up. The Hurricanes have a goalie prospect named Jack Lafontaine, and he has had quite the road of his in his development. It's been a rocky one. It hasn't. There's been a lot of ups and downs for him. But since going to the University of Minnesota, this is a 2016 third round draft pick, Jack Lafontaine. He's starting to turn a corner, which is great for for him and potentially for the Hurricanes, depending on how they handle him uh, with regards to giving him an entry level deal. Or we'll see what all happens. But in Hobie Baker voting, that's for top player in the NCAA men's hockey. Jack LaFontaine is second in fan voting right now for the Hobie Baker. He is 13 and three this year, a 9.48 save percentage, a 138 goals against, and three shutouts in 16 games played. Quick thoughts on Jack LaFontaine. Uh, obviously, very promising. It's also worth noting that he is 23. You know, he he he's been in college for a bit. He's bounced around to Michigan. He played in the BCHL. Uh, it, but it's good to see him finally get a foothold on being the kind of guy that the Hurricanes hoped that he would be. Yeah, it is. I think, um, you know, and it, there's something to be said for having some comfort and a good fit, and it seems like he's found that and he's doing well with it. I do also think, you know, it should be – I think he's playing on a really good Minnesota team this yes. year. But he, at the same time, like, you know, people will look at a goalie like, oh, yeah, you know, they're, they've got these numbers. They're playing on a really good team. Well – like the goalie's part of it being a really good team. Um, and I think that's the case with LaFontaine too. So no, I think definitely something you keep an eye on and definitely somebody who, you know, if he continues playing the way he has and, you know, moving up, you know, and like, like you, you said he's 23, but like, you know, we both know goalies are weird. Yeah. They can take a long time to develop. So if he, if he keeps his trajectory going, Jack LaFontaine could very well be part of the Hurricanes future plans in net. Absolutely. Um, we'll see what their plans are for him moving forward. Uh, it's definitely a name to keep track of. And we got news today, moving away from Jack Lafontaine, a guy who uh, certainly established himself as an NHL player and a part of the Hurricanes uh, in a significant way. Justin Williams has been hired. Uh, if you've heard of him, he played in the league for a few years and questionable credentials. We'll see how it all works out for him as the advisor, an advisor to the general manager, Don Waddell for the Hurricanes. Yeah, and I think it's it's funny because I think we all expected that um, um, Justin Williams would be back in some capacity, yeah. official capacity with the organization very much sooner rather than later. I don't think this comes as a surprise to anybody, especially if you remember, I remember reading um, The Athletic, one of their national writers, I can't remember who, did a really, really good like insider in-depth breakdown to like the Canes. Um, draft and war room with things Scott Burnside the drafted free agent, yeah Burnside in um around the draft 
and Williams was there in the room um, for some of those meetings with pre-draft and about potential NHL trades with Waddell and with Dundon. And clearly he's somebody that we know. I know Tom Dundon has spoken very highly of in the past. Um, Dom Waddell has. You know, Rod I think Brindamore kind of likes him, I think. Yeah, I, I think Rod <laughs> Brindamore is uh, okay with him. But he, So, no, I mean, clearly this is a person who everybody in the organization knows what he's about and they value his input and the, you know, perspectives that he has from his vast experience playing in the league. So, no, I, th- I think that this can only be a good thing, having that added perspective in the front office for the Hurricanes. Absolutely. Uh, jokes aside, this is a no-brainer. Uh, such a huge part in the Hurricanes turning around in the way that they did over the last couple of years. A very... Like, uh, as important as anyone almost in in the revamping of the culture around this team and and getting back to winning the way that they expect to win and you know it's it's such an obvious no-brainer decision and yeah i don't think anyone anywhere would have any different differing opinion to that so it's great to see him back in an official capacity and one last thing before we check out and uh we we call this a day uh wandavision uh, there's a new episode yes. out today. Thoughts on uh, it so far? I know you haven't watched the new episode. I have. I will not spoil anything. But good, thoughts good, on percent. thoughts on the show? And there is something to spoil. So watch the damn thing when you can. It's it's a very good episode. And uh, avoid Twitter spoilers because there there is one. I will, and I intend to watch it uh, pretty much as soon as I cover the Zoom availability we're going to have with Dom Waddell. Yeah, that's and why we're. That's why I'm trying right to rush us along here. Podcast. Yeah, we're good. We got a couple minutes. Um, no, I've liked it a lot. It's definitely, especially, um, you know, last week's episode, the fourth episode, gave us some answers, but the first three, especially, I mean, it, it's just so different than anything we've seen in the Marvel universe. You know, kind of with that whole like. 60s 70s 80s sitcom vibe that they're doing and everything and the mystery element blended in with that no i have loved it i think um elizabeth olsen and paul bettany are are fantastic yeah. actors they work really well together and i have thoroughly enjoyed wandavision so far yeah i'm not a big marvel guy at all i know next to nothing but this has been a delightful show to watch the the first three episodes were certainly a delightful change of pace not what i was expecting but i enjoyed it very much and the past few episodes when you're starting to get the backstory and you're getting answers to these questions and it's very good it's a very uh you know some people didn't like the start because it was different than what they probably wanted or expected but that there's a lot of payoff from that and it's been really fun to watch uh, as someone who hasn't necessarily been huge in the Marvel, but this has been really, really cool. That's all we have today. Thank you for listening to the Canes Country Podcast. Uh, we jam-packed a lot of content in here today, and we hope that you enjoyed. We had a good time making it. Uh, Andrew, where can the people follow you on Twitter and only Twitter? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at A-S-C-H-N-I-T-T-5-3, and I will also add that you can fire Rob you can fire not fire (laughs) Um, follow ryan at r-y-a-n-h-e-n-k-e-l underscore pour one out for ryan he started having some significant technical difficulties in the middle of today's episode but he will be back with us in full next week yes he will uh we're thinking of you ryan and your and your and your technical difficulties uh we are not firing you just to be clear (laughs) ryan is holding up a 
piece of paper that says buy and is holding up a peace sign. So he is alive yes. and well. Okay, good. Very good. Uh, <laughs> thank you, Ryan. Uh, yes, to clarify, Andrew did not give anyone permission to fire him um, on Twitter. So just to clarify that. You can follow me at Brett Finger on Twitter. Follow Kane's Country at Kane's Country on Twitter. Please follow slash subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. You will find the Kane's Country podcast. Review, rate, uh, say wonderful things about us. Uh, enjoy the rest of your week, your weekend, and we will talk to you next week when there will certainly be more news uh, all over the damn place. Uh, be well. Goodbye.